discussed here in Revelation 4. Revelation 4, if you're there, say amen. Who needs a little more time to find it? A couple of you do, a couple of you do. I'll give you a couple more seconds. We've had a great time tonight, good spirit tonight. Happy about that, happy about that. All right. Chapter 4, verse 1, we saw the rapture come. We saw that end the church age. We saw it start the age called the tribulation age. There's other names for it, but that's the most popular name, a seven-year period that will end at the second and final coming of Jesus. Now, we see in verse 2, if you'll go there, let's look at it quickly. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne. Now, when it says one, set on the throne. Who is that one that sits on the throne? We know that it is God, but in the Godhead, which, which one is it in the Godhead? Jesus. We're going to look at some verses to back that up here in just a second, but we see that Jesus is going to be the great judge of the universe. Now, let's look at some things about this. We've already pointed out some stuff about it, uh, but I want to kind of wrap up here. I pointed out these four quick thoughts right at the very end of the lesson two weeks ago when I taught on this. Now, we saw that, number one, it's a heavenly place. Where is this throne room at? Kids, where's the throne room of God going to be? Come on, talk to me now. Talk to me. No one's going to talk to me. Heaven. It is in heaven. It's a heavenly place. All righty? So we know that the throne room of God is in heaven. We know, number two, it's a holy place. We, we talked about how even the angels, how they behave and how they act, and even the modesty that they have in the presence of God. It's a very holy place. Those angels, the Bible describes them. We read several verses two weeks ago. I didn't have time to develop it. But they had three sets of wings for a total of six wings each. When they're in the presence of God, those wings come around and cover their face. Another set of wings covers their body. And then another, <coughs> excuse me, another set of wings comes around and covers their legs. In the very presence of God, we see that these angels will literally cover themselves up to be holy and modest in the presence of the, the mighty, mighty Lord that they're standing in front of. It's a very, very holy place. We know that it's an honorable place. We know that God is honored there, and we see that, that there'll be singing and praising of God all around the throne all the time. So it's an exciting thing there. And, and there'll be praises of God and singing to God and, and just shouts of praise to God. But we also see that God is going to honor his own children there. Now let's look at a couple of quick verses. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are you all alive tonight? Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says here about this throne room. And we need to all take note of this. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If you have your pen, you ought to underline or circle the word all. Beloved, who must stand at the judgment seat of Christ? All. all. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's you and me, that's everyone. Now notice this, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, we see here in this verse where it is teaching us that every one of us are going to make an appearance before the judgment seat of God. This throne room described in Revelation 4. We're going to all at some point have our court date. Now, we understand that there are different types of court. 
we understand that the lost are going to be standing before God at a different judgment than the saved are. We're going to be giving an account here for the things that we have done in our body, whether they be good or bad. Now, this is for the honors that God is going to place on those that have served him. And we see that, that we're all going to make this appearance here. If you will, go to Psalms 62. Go back to the Old Testament for a minute. We see another mention of this. Psalms 62. Psalm 62, look at verse number 12. It says, let's see here. It says, also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. For thou renderest to every man according to his work. Now, we know that we do not work our way to heaven. We've established that. We know that you don't work your way to heaven. We don't work to get to heaven, but there are rewards for work that we do for the Lord in heaven. Reward for works. Now, listen, I don't want you to do service for God because you think that's what keeps you out of hell. I don't want you to do service for God because, you know, somehow it gives you some earthly honors, although there are earthly honors that come to people who serve God. But the best reason is, is to remember... While you're serving God, one day you're going to stand before God. And what you want to hear from God is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You need to be doing work around the church because that's service for God. You need to be doing work throughout the week for the cause of Christ, whether it's leaving a track on a table for a, for a server, or maybe it's uh, somebody you work with, inviting them to church, or just simply bragging about what Jesus is doing in your life as you get opportunity. Young people, listen to me. Listen to me. All of y'all look at me. We're not going to be here long, but I do want your attention. All right? You need to be doing things that honor Jesus because one day you're going to stand in this throne room and you're going to be honored by Jesus. Okay? Let's look at some other verses here. Look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Look at verse number 27. It says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. We don't see works working its way into people getting to heaven, but we do see works in regards to the child of God. Your works matter. Your works matter. Yesterday we went out and did some visiting. We visited a couple of people, J.C., and I did note that not a single one of them kept their word and came today. They're all members here. Haven't been in two months, Mom. Every one of them said they'd be here today. Everyone we visited, not a one of them came, did they? Does that negate our work? Should we have not done it? Maybe it didn't have an immediate reward of somebody sitting in church like we hoped. But you know what? God took note of the time that we spent yesterday. Now, we're not the only ones. Others went out and visited people as well. And some of them didn't come either. All of us that went out, though, that time is put into an account. God noticed it. God is aware of it. And one day, I hope by doing things for the Lord that God's heavenly rewards will await. God says that he will reward us according to our work. Are you doing any work for God? This, this throne room is an honorable place. God's going to be honored there. We're going to be honoring God there, but God's going to honor us there as well. It's a place where God looks at what you have done for his cause. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Turn them Bibles over there, young people. You know, young people, y'all get a lot more out of my sermons if y'all would bring a Bible once in a while. Amen. Bring a Bible. 
Bibles are everywhere. I got 50 of them sitting on the back row back here that people valued so much that they just left behind. <laughs> it would help you. I want you all to get something out of this. You may not think so, but one day this stuff's going to matter to you. It's going to matter to you. You're going to wish that you had paid a little more attention. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. I am glad you're here. I'm not trying to pick on you, but I want you to you know, get something out of it as well. Love all of you. I just want you to get something out of being a church. All right, look at verse number 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. All right, we see here in this verse, God says that, that he's reserved the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. We see that some people are going to stand in this room and they're going to be judged, and that judgment is not going to lead to a reward. It's going to lead to an eternal punishment. Now, if you will, look at chapter 3, look at verse number 7. It says, But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, we see here again a mention that there is a judgment where there is going to be a sentence handed down to ungodly men. So we see this room, it's going to be a place of judgment for some people. It's going to be a place of reward for those that have trusted in Jesus. All right, now I want you to go over to Revelation 20. We're going to skip ahead just a second. We're going to get a glimpse of this throne room as it's being used to punish the ungodly. Those that have died without Jesus are the ones being described right here. There are people who have rejected Christ, people who don't want Jesus, they don't want religion, they don't live in faith. Maybe somebody handed them a tract and they said, I don't need that. I don't believe in all that. Maybe somebody tried to tell them about Jesus and they rejected it. Maybe you went through the whole plan of salvation at the end. They had an opportunity to say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll accept Christ. But they chose not to do it. Well, when these people die, they're going to get a glimpse of that glorious throne room. But this is going to describe what's going to happen to them. Now, notice it here, verse 11. It says... And I saw a great white throne, and to him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now notice there, there's two books that are mentioned here. There's the first set of books. There's a first mention of book, but you notice an S on the end of it. That denotes a set or volume of books. So we see here a volume or set of books plural books. It says these books were opened. Then it says another book, that's a singular book, a different book, was opened and it describes this book. This book was the book of life. Now notice this, the dead, these were those who died without Jesus. They've been awaiting in hell. They've been praying day and night since the day they died for delivery. Like the rich man who was begging for just a drop of water to cool his tongue. Just like people who have died and said, I don't need Jesus. Now they've lived in these torments for all these years. They've been brought up out of that holding place. They've been put before God. And now we see that as they stand before God, God says, okay, you did not need Jesus. You did not accept the lamb that was slain for you. You did not take the gift of salvation that I offered you. I had a way for you to get here. I provided a way. You did not want to go through that way. Now we have to go through your way, and that means you've got to be righteous. Now listen to me, those books, where it says books with an S on it, those books 
are the books of their life. It is a record, a recording of the deeds done in their body since the day they were born until the day they died. It's been suggested that it records every thought, every word, every deed, every action. All of that is recorded there. And we'll, those books will be laid at the judge's desk. And the judge will look at those books and look through them. And then in those books, it will reveal how unrighteous and wicked each person has lived. Now, the reality is, if they find even one sin recorded in those books, that person is doomed to an eternity in hell. But yet, God in his graciousness, we see that he looks at these books. I'm sure he's hoping that these people will be savable. But the law has spoken, and sin has to be paid for. So they're at this judgment seat in this great throne room of heaven that, that is described there. And we see that it's a hearing room. It's a heavenly place. It's a holy place. It's an honorable place. But we also see that it's a hearing room. It's a place for a court case to be done. And these people, look at what happens here. It says there that the books were open and another book was opened. Now that book of life contains the names of those that have received Jesus. God will look at the book of life and when he does not see their name there, he'll look at the books of their life. And when those books condemn them, and their own actions condemn them. You all getting a picture of this? Then look what happens here. They were judged out of the, those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. That's talking about their physical bodies. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The word death there is a reference to the grave. It was used often to describe just the place where the physical body went. That word death there is when a person died, their body went to the ground. From dust you came from, dust you will return. And we know that the Bible says their soul departed from them and went into hell. So we see their physical body resurrected. We see their soul brought forward from hell. So death, their body, and hell brought together and put back together to stand before God. And then we see the sentence there, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into that lake of fire. What a horrible scene we see take place in that great throne room, that place of great judgment. And we see that, that this hearing will take place one day there. But notice this. I want you to just think about this. When it comes to the courtrooms of the world, there are three courtrooms that are very real and very distinct courts of mankind. You may not ever have thought about this, but think about it a minute. The first court that we deal with in mankind is the court of public opinion. The court of public opinion. It's a very real court. In that court, your testimony, your virtue is on trial. Your reputation is held on trial. Your sincerity, those are all things that are held on trial. Who's the judge? Who's the jury, mankind? That's your neighbors. People you work with. People you worship with. People you go to school with. They're always holding a court. And people love to yell out, don't judge me! Don't judge me! Now it's usually people behaving very stupidly that yell, don't judge me. 
But the reality is there is a court of public opinion and it's always holding court. We're all held accountable to it. The truth of it is mankind watches each other and we hold court on each other. We judge the sincerity, the virtue, the character, the honesty, the testimony. All of those things are held in that court of public opinion. You say, well, I don't like that. I know it, but you've, all, but, but, but you've also been a part of it. We're all a part of that court of public opinion. We hear what we hear. We see what we see going on in mankind around us. And we are always forming judgments in our heart. Some people can escape other courts, but only to pay the bigger price sometimes in the court of public opinion. I'll give you a prime example. A few years ago, we all gasped as we looked at the TV and we heard the verdict handed down that Casey Anthony was innocent. Now, the truth of it is, everybody involved in that case, and if anybody knows anybody that's an insider in it, I've talked to people that were insiders, everybody believes that she had a hand in her daughter's death. Now, a lot of them believe it was accidental, that she was definitely drugging her daughter, but on that horrible day, they believe that she gave her too much accidentally and killed her. Then came the covers up that, that followed and all those things that happened. Now, none of us will ever really know the truth. Did she drown in a pool and they all panicked and buried her body in a swamp near the house and claimed that she was abducted? We don't really ever know. But the court of public opinion has definitely formed an opinion. All of us had opinions that day. I'll never forget the day. I remember right where I was at when they handled that court down. I actually pulled over. I was on the road, pulled over to a restaurant just because I wanted to watch on the news. And when I got there, everybody in the restaurant was gathered around that TV watching it. I couldn't believe what I saw. Couldn't believe what I heard. Obviously, they couldn't make a legal connection. They could not prove without a shadow of a doubt that she did it. So therefore, unfortunately, justice as it is defined in an American court, you are innocent until proven guilty. The burden of proof is on the law. They could not prove it. She was released. She walked away. I'll never forget watching. Uh, listen, I'm not trying to be crude, but I'll never forget watching her lawyer as he made a very obscene gesture to all of the court press as he walked out. I'll never forget watching Jose Baez as he gloated and, 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 and beat on his chest and how he had literally corrupted society that day. And of course, she's gone on. Did she get away, though? I mean, you think she's gotten off with it completely? She didn't go to jail. She didn't go to an electric chair. The court of law failed to be able to do its job that day. But did she get off scot-free? How many of you believe she has a good life today? How many of you believe she'll ever be able to live anywhere? I don't care if she goes to Europe anyway. She is, her name is now synonymous with infamy. She's been called literally, and by liberal media, the most hated woman in the world. She will never move forward from this. She'll never live a normal life. She'll never be able to really go in public without wondering if somebody's going to come and do unto her as she did unto hers. What court has judged her ultimately? The court of public opinion has declared her guilty. 
There is a port, there is a court of public opinion. There's the courtroom of heaven, but that's not, there's a, there's a courtroom that you all live in. You say, it doesn't matter how I act. It does. There is a court that's watching you, and there are verdicts handed down every day. We see this, number two, there's the court of the laws of man. Sins and crimes that we commit are punishable in this rural, this real world today. Listen to me, there's nothing more tragic than to see a young person with so much promise and hope. When God created you, he did not create you to live in a little 8 by 10 cell, like some kind of animal. God didn't create you to rot away doing nothing with your life, sitting in a cell with bars on the windows. It's tragic to me to see people that throw their life away in crime, throw their life away bad judgment. I got a letter on my desk. It's, it's, I've kept it on my desk, but it was from a former student at Baptist Temple School. I remember him very well. I remember he was a ball player. I remember he had a very good personality, but he was very stubborn, very headstrong. I remember often having meetings with him in my office, and I remember he was a very polite young man, but in the end, he was very hard-headed. He documented how he was serving a very long prison sentence. He told me how many years he'd already been in prison and how many years he had spent in a jail since he'd been out of school. Since that letter was written, he got out on parole only to go right back into prison within a couple of months of being released. He's in prison as we speak right now. Just can't stay out of trouble. Just can't stay out of trouble. And I remember him when he had so much promise. I remember him whenever he would tell me the dreams that he had, the things he wanted to do, and the hopes. I remember as a young boy, he wanted to play basketball in college and then on in the NBA. And I remember him talking about interests that he had and all these goals that he wanted to accomplish. And yet his whole life has been about pretty much sitting in a room, just waiting for time to pass. And where was he condemned? Well, the court of law, the court of the laws of man. So we see the court of public opinion, but we also have the court of the laws of man. And as I just pointed out, sometimes people can cheat and get around and exploit the court of the laws of man. But that leads us to the third court that no man can cheat and no man can get around. That no man, no lawyer, no matter how smooth-tongued he is, can ever defeat. And that is the third court, the court of God. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. The reality is every man born of woman will stand before God one day. You'll either stand before God to receive a crown, which you would then lay at the foot of Jesus, or you'll stand before God to see if your name is in the book of life and then to be judged by the things written in the books that record the deeds of your life. But you will stand at the court of God, an eternal court, with an eternal sentence. And in that court, Jesus is the appointed judge. We see that in Matthew 25. If you have your Bible, turn there, and this will be our final thought. Turn that. I want you to see it, though. Jesus is the final judge. You'll stand before him. In the end, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Even people who denied him will one day kneel before him. Matthew 25 says this in verse number 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one 
from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, that's talking about the saved, but the goats on the left, the unsaved. He'll separate the saved from the unsaved. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's the rewards, and there's the inheritances that we will get, the blessing, if you will. We're going to have an inheritance called a home in heaven and then great rewards and blessings in that home. Then it says in verse 35, For I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Now, we see there that the, in verse 46 where he looks at the goats and he says this, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. Jesus will be the judge on that day at the court of God, the appointed judge. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this and understand it, I want heaven to be a place of honor and not a place to have a hearing to determine my eternal destination. How's it going to go for you? I want you to bow your heads tonight. Hey, how you